So last week, we began reflecting on an image together that offers us greater clarity and direction for who we are to be as followers of Jesus. Uh, And it's this image of a table in the wilderness. A table in the wilderness. This image speaks to both our experiences of isolation, desolation, and uncertainty in the world, as well as our experiences of community and abundance and trust in God. See, we we believe that no matter what wilderness we may find ourselves in, God's table can be found there. God's table can be found there. As God's people, we're called to seek God's table and also to be a table in the wilderness for others. Now, to flesh this out a little bit more, I believe that there really are two kinds of wildernesses. Two different kinds of wilderness. On the one hand, there is a kind of wilderness that people flee to out of desperation. And this is certainly the case for the the folks that we reflected on last week. If you remember, Hagar fled to the wilderness because of abuse. Uh, Moses fled to the wilderness because of his past. Elijah fled to the wilderness because of persecution. Each one of them was in the midst of desperate circumstances. And so they fled to and found themselves in the middle of the wilderness. Nevertheless, as bad as it might be, we saw how each one of them encountered God's table the table of God's presence in the middle of the wilderness. Hagar was met by the God who sees her. Moses met God in the burning bush. And Elijah encountered that still, small voice. God's table can be found in the middle of the wilderness of desperation. And many of you have endured these desperate wilderness seasons or may very well be in the middle of one now. This image is good news, right? That the table can be found in the wilderness. So this is one kind of wilderness. It's this wilderness of desperation. And it is right to lament and to mourn these kinds of wildernesses. However, there's also another kind of wilderness. There's a kind of wilderness that people do not flee to, but rather that people are called to. There's a kind of wilderness that's not to be lamented, but rather sought out and embraced. And this is the kind of wilderness that I want to reflect on today. As God's people, not only can we find God's table in the middle of the wilderness of desperation, but but also we are called into the wilderness to begin setting the table there. 
We've actually already read our text for this morning. It's the beginning of Matthew chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible and you want to open to there, you can. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 is where we'll be. Or if you have that dwelling in the Word uh, paper, you can grab that and, and read from that. That's where we'll be. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to begin right at the beginning in verse 1. Let's read together once more. In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the invitation into the wilderness with you. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I don't know what meal times look like for you, but with Caitlin's family around the holidays, it often looks like three or four people scattered around the kitchen, each preparing some kind of dish. Uh, there are things being stirred on the stove. There are other things being shuffled about in the oven. Um, and each person is preparing their own piece. Sometimes I have been able to jump in and maybe help chop something or, or whatever, but most of the time I'm pretty clueless about what needs to happen uh, and what needs to be prepared. But there is always one thing, no matter the meal, that always needs to happen. The table needs to be set. And I know where the plates are. I know where the cups are, and I know where the, dish, the, the silverware is. So a, a number of times, not every time, but a number of times, uh, I would find myself before the meal uh, with a handful of silverware making circles around the table, laying them out, right? Uh, because the table needs to be set. Now, the best place to set a table uh, is usually the dining room, right? That's a good place to set a table because that's where people have dinner, in the dining room. You wouldn't set the table uh, on the laundry room floor, right? I, I wouldn't set up cups and glasses, um, you know, in the garage. Uh, I, I set the table in the dining room because that's where you expect it to be. It just makes sense. But it's striking that when it comes to setting the table for the kingdom of God, we find John in the wilderness, right? You would expect this to be in a synagogue or maybe at the temple, 
you know, something like that. But John comes preparing the way for the Lord, and he sets the table in the wilderness. This is where we find him. Matthew 3 begins with these words. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Of all places, John could have begun his ministry. It's right there. In the wilderness, not in those religious places, not in a city center to get people's attention and gather the crowds, but it's in the wilderness. And this was a choice, right? This is something that John chose to do. John could have lived a very different kind of life, right? His father was a priest in Jerusalem at the temple uh, who came from a very long line of priests. His mother also came from a priestly line that went all the way back to Aaron, So it would have made a lot of sense. John could have had a very promising and influential career as a priest. That would make a lot of sense. But instead, John was called to be a prophet. But even as a prophet, one one who spoke, you know, he, he could have had such great influence, couldn't he? He could have spoken, you know, gone to big political centers, spoken to to big crowds or or big people, important places. But no, he went to the wilderness. And John didn't flee out to the wilderness uh, the way that some did. He didn't flee from fear or shame or persecution. John was called to the wilderness. This was the place where John followed God's call on his life. He went to the wilderness for that reason. And and the wilderness was not only the place of John's ministry. It was also the place of his life. The end of Luke chapter 1 speaks of John after his birth, and it says the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly. Israel. John didn't just go out to the wilderness when his ministry started uh, as, you know, kind of a cool stunt or something. Uh, The wilderness is where he grew. He went there long before his public ministry began, long before he would prepare the way for the Lord in the wilderness. John himself was prepared by the Lord in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that John learned to wait and watch for God by living a vulnerable life that was entirely dependent on God. John didn't go out into the wilderness primarily to run away from things. He went to the wilderness to run toward God. It's out of his own experience of the wilderness and preparation in the wilderness that he begins to declare the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? He's living in the middle of the wilderness, but what does he encounter? The kingdom of God. And so when the time is right, that's what he begins to declare. The kingdom of heaven has come near. 
The wilderness is where he learned to rely on God. It's where he first began to glimpse the coming kingdom. And so he began preaching to others. And as John carried out his ministry, he came to be known as the one that Isaiah spoke of. In Isaiah 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. But I want you to notice that John is not only a voice calling in the wilderness. His voice is calling others to the wilderness. And this is, is made much more clear in the original grammar of Isaiah. Uh, in Isaiah 40, it reads this way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's the grammar of, of Isaiah. You see, it's, it's not a voice calling in the wilderness to other people, hey, prepare the way. But it's a voice that is calling people in the wilderness, prepare the way. Do you see the difference? They're called into the wilderness. John is saying, come to the wilderness. This is where we need to prepare. It's in the wilderness that we prepare the way for the Lord. And it's in the wilderness that we are prepared by the Lord. The wilderness is the place where we become God's people. John's voice comes from the wilderness. Yes, he is a voice in the wilderness, but it's because he's already started the preparation. He's already been being prepared by God. And he calls others to join him. And, and, and the most amazing thing, someone already pointed this out as we were dwelling earlier, they actually come, right? Right? How amazing is that? How surprising is that? Verse 5 says, People went to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. They're confessing their sins and they're baptized by him in the Jordan River. Right? John was called to the wilderness and he in turn called others into the wilderness. The wilderness is the place where the table of God's kingdom is being set. This is what we see in the life of John. But let's be honest. There's nothing particularly uh, successful looking or impressive about John's ministry. It didn't last for a long time, maybe a year. He didn't perform any miracles, didn't do any signs or wonders. He didn't establish a large following, set up a synagogue, you know, start a school, nothing like that. Those who did follow him would very soon be sent away to go follow someone else. He was just a voice in the wilderness right? This is who John was. Nothing all that impressive. And eventually, he would be arrested and beheaded. This is not what we would call success at all. 
It looks a lot like a failure, by all accounts. And yet, when Jesus speaks of John the Baptist, hear what he says. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. You want to see someone great? It's this fellow who wandered around shouting in the wilderness. That's greatness. This challenges all of our assumptions about what success looks like. It challenges all of our assumptions about what it looks like to to be the people of God. Uh, How do we define success, right? We, We often define it the same way anyone else does. How much? How many? Right? How many people do you have? How much money do you make? How many titles do you have before your name? Or letters do you have after your name? Right? All these ways of thinking about success. All these ways of thinking about greatness. Power. Influence. Money. John had none of it. And yet Jesus says, no one ever born has been greater than him. We need to be reframed and reformed by this image of the wilderness. Where are people called into the wilderness? Not places of power, not places of authority, but called into the wilderness to meet God there. Now, I've been learning a lot uh, recently and very intrigued by this particular period uh, in church history that I think has a lot to say to us today about who we are and where we are. Uh, There is this group of people who came to be known as the Desert Mothers and Fathers. Uh, They were called that because they went out and lived in the desert. Uh, This was about the third and fourth century of the church whenever they began going out there. Now, I want you to think about history uh, for a moment, right? The first couple centuries of the church, uh, it was scandalous to be Christian. It was scandalous to be a follower of Christ, and there were intense persecutions, right? And so it was mostly an underground movement, Uh, It was something that people did in their homes. They did it, uh, you know, kind of quietly, and they had some code language and stuff so that they could remain safe as they practiced their faith. But in the third and fourth century, Christianity began to become more popular and eventually become legal. It became the official religion of, of, of Rome. And it was right during this time that a group of people saw the church embrace power. They saw the church beginning to become a lot more like 
the culture around it. They saw the church become just like everyone else, and they said, this is not the way of Christ. This is not who we're meant to be. We're not meant to be a people filled with power and resources and, and, and influence. And so, they went to the desert. They went to the wilderness to be reminded of what this faith is really about. It's incredible. One of them was a, a guy named Arsenius, uh, known as Abba Arsenius. All right, they're known as the, the mothers and fathers, the Abbas and Amas. Um, Abba Arsenius was a, a rhetoric teacher uh, who was a tutor for emperors, right? He was well off and well established. He taught, he dressed well, he lived comfortably. But one day, he paused and began praying, and he asked, God, show me the way of salvation. And he heard a response. And what he heard was this, flee, be silent, and pray always. Flee, be silent, and pray always. Now think about that. This guy who's a tutor for emperors, living comfortably and well. He was said to, in, in his, his days as a tutor, have had the nicest clothes of anyone. Flee all of that. All the power, all the influence, all the comfort. Flee. And then what? Be silent. He's a rhetoric teacher. What else does he have to do but to talk? And yet God tells him, be silent. And so he goes into the wilderness and is quiet. And it is there that he learns to pray always, to set his heart and mind on God always. These practices, solitude, silence, prayer, these are disciplines that we're all called to in some way. There are ways that we begin to detox from the culture that we've soaked up, to detox from our love of power and comfort, from our, our love of having all the right answers to say. In solitude and silence, we learn to turn our eyes once more to God. And only the wilderness can teach us that. We can't learn that anywhere else. There's another one of these desert uh, mothers. Her name was Ama Sincletica. Uh, and she was from a very wealthy family, uh, very, very well off again. But whenever she, she, from a very young age, was drawn to this life of prayer, uh, but didn't really know how it fit in or, or, or what to do. But once her parents passed away, she sold her entire family estate uh, and moved with her younger sister into a tomb. Went to go live in a tomb, in a grave. That's where, that's where she went to live. And she lived there, and she prayed. And she prayed. And over time, she began to be formed. 
And, and after a while, a few people gathered around her, and, and she started this little, little group of, of, of women in the wilderness who would pray together and seek God together. And she would come to say, just as it is not possible for something to be both a seed and a plant, it is also not possible to have worldly honor with heavenly fruit. We're called into the wilderness, not into great power, not into great fame and fortune, but into the wilderness. So what does this look like for us today? Now, I realize for some, you know, Jerry, Linda, some folks actually do go into the wilderness on hikes, right? There's a few others here who like to do that kind of thing. Does that mean that's what we're all supposed to do, right? All right, go for a week out and hike the, you know, Mount, uh, Mount Rainier or the Olympic Mountains. If that's you, go for it, right? I think it's going to be great. But I don't think that's what we have to do to be called to and enter the wilderness. Uh, th- there is a- another one of these desert fathers. His name was uh, Abba Anthony. Uh, and he, at one point, was, was praying and, and got this vision that there was a man who lived in the city as a doctor. Uh, and, and what God told him about this man was, he is your equal in virtue, right? You're not better than him because you're living out in the wilderness. Uh, you don't have to flee your place in order to be formed by the wilderness. There was another couple of young uh, monks who lived out in the wilderness, and once again, they were praying, and they asked God, how, how have we grown in virtue? Uh, and they, want, they got a vision of this couple, this married couple that lived in a nearby village, and God said, you've not yet reached the virtue of them. And so once more, you don't have to flee your city, your place, your work, in order to enter a life that is formed and shaped by the wilderness. And so what does it look like for us to be called into the wilderness? What are the things that we need to let go of? What loves do we have for power, for comfort, for fortune, for fame, that we need to let go of? What are the the answers that we always want to have or the things that we always want to say and talk about that maybe we can learn silence? Learn how to listen more than we speak. What are the ways that we can be invited and drawn in to lives of prayer with hearts set on God always? This is who we are called to be as God's people. And so I believe this is a picture of who we are to be as the church. We need to let go of our visions of great big crowds and popular gatherings. We're only meant to follow God. That is all that we're meant to seek. The desert mothers and fathers teach us that. Let us be that people who seek God with our whole hearts, 
open hands, quiet voices, ready to be changed and transformed in the wilderness. May it be so. Amen.